Attention, armchair quarterbacks and shower thought GMs. It's time for this week's episode of Sports Ball with Mike Meharry and Alan Mosley. Get a drink real quick. Oh boy, drinking on the job. Mm-hmm. No, I'm on. I'm on day three of no caffeine, so. Oh no. That hum in the middle of my brain is getting louder. <laughs> if you just plop over in the middle of the show, we'll know what happened. Welcome back to Sports Ball for episode 27. I am your host, Alan Mosley, joined as always by my co-host and really brother-in-arm at this point, Mike Meharry. Mike, how are you doing? It was so weird. So I got up this morning and there was this big, bright ball of something in the sky. And Not it was really, you. really bright. And well, actually, that wasn't when I got up. It was still dark when I got up. But, but later, this happened and it was really weird. Because we've had like 863 inches of rain in the last few weeks, as you were. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, I enjoyed there's... the sunshine. I'm not going to lie. There's a lot of flooding down here, man. Yeah. It's uh, the pictures have been crazy. It's it's funny. I had some work to do this weekend, and I got and I got my work done um, late last night. And and as and as I got finished, I said, "Good. Now I can move on to more important things, like dying in the great floods of 2019." <laughs> Well, speaking of rain, you know what's not good in rain? What? Hockey. Ugh. <laughs> you got to experience a little bit of that. I actually watched a hockey game. Yes, you did. Uh, so, yeah, we had the stadium series. This is the thing that I remember from this weekend without looking, by the way. And, uh, yeah, it poured rain <laughs> through the entire third period of the hockey game between the Flyers and the Pins. And uh, it was actually a decent game. Other than the weather, I mean, they made the best of it. I guess the the Flyers were down uh, four. What were they down? They were down like four one, weren't they? Or three one, three yeah. one, yeah. And they ended up winning four three in overtime. But yeah, watching them play in that puddle was uh, was kind of a mess. And I felt bad for them, knowing how difficult it is. I don't think it translated to the TV. Um, but it is extremely difficult to move a puck through water and because it just sticks. So, you know, you just – everything is, is off kilter, and you couldn't really see it on the TV. But um, I, I think I mentioned to you the, the rink that I play out here in Lexington. We have a Zamboni driver who doesn't understand that the, the water is actually variable. Like there's there's two settings in his mind. It's either complete water or no water. And usually it's complete water. So in the spring when it gets warm, we usually play in, you know, half an inch of water for a period. So that's you know kind of reminded me of that. But this is the NHL. I don't think you're really supposed to have to do that. Well, so let me let me tell you my two takeaways from having watched my annual hockey game. Right. The first one is I heard an announcer at a hockey game say the phrase, the wind has died down yes, down in did. the bowl. Yes. <laughs> so that was interesting. Yeah, that was different. Yeah, uh, so no excuse for wide left now. Uh, and the and the second takeaway was is that when I joined the contest, somebody told me that the <laughs> Penguins were in control, and from that moment forward. So really, I only stopped by to give the Flyers a little pick me up. From the moment that I started watching, it was a three zero route. Yeah. So yeah, not so much in control anymore. My actual favorite part of the game was the uh, Flyers goaltender's helmet. And he had the the eagle's wings painted in the same 
configuration mm-hmm. is the Philadelphia Eagles. So a little, even a little props to the football team. So I kind of like that. You know, hockey fashion is important. And I have to admit the uh, the buckets that the Penguins were wearing were pretty cool too. So let me tell you, uh, let me tell you what I remember from this past week. What's that? I watched a guy's shoe explode. I saw that. <laughs> Did you see it? I don't think that's supposed to happen. No. So, and and, uh, and of course, of all people, Zion Williamson, which I, you know, I, everybody's acting like this guy is just the consensus number one, or yeah. at least at least a top three or five. I mean, he's going to be a one or done, right? Like he's leaving Duke after this year, right? Uh, and, and and I mean. I, I don't like to get that hype for a kid. I mean, because he's he, right. He's a kid. Yeah. I don't like to get too hyped for someone that young. But I mean, he for 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 the most part, he definitely walks the walk. Uh, but he wasn't walking the walk past the first few seconds no. of their game against like, the Tar Heels. What, Thirty seconds because, in, he, because his shoe exploded, leading to him tweaking his knee. That it. it it's actually anybody who haven't hasn't seen the replay who thinks we're exaggerating we're really not. Like, yeah, I mean, it was the it was the most bizarre thing. This is not a good Nike ad. Let's just no. let's just put it that way. No, it's it's really not. I mean, I'm not you know I'm not going all conspiracy theorist on you or anything, but it it definitely was it was definitely surreal to see because I mean it wasn't just like it wasn't a te- it just it wasn't a tear. You know, it wasn't a he didn't have his shoes laced up really tight and he rolled his ankle type situation. Right. I mean, it just like it blew out the bot the back and the bottom. It was really strange. Yeah. Um, but with that said, yeah. So so this consensus top pick guy goes down with a knee tweak. It sounded really bad when it when it was first reported. I think they're saying now he's not he's not going to be shut down for the year, um, which I would actually be kind of surprised. I mean theoretically he's a player and theoretically he has a coach and theoretically the coach would make that decision. But I mean, I mean, let's, let's call a spade a spade here. The dude's going to be worth millions and millions right. of dollars in like five minutes from now. Yeah. So I, I can't imagine he would be too keen on putting his exploded sneakers back on yeah, right? in the next few months, it, but it, we'll see what happens. Yeah. It looked bad. And, and Duke was never the same after that. They they were never yeah. really in that game, and they definitely missed him. I, you know, it'd be interesting if – I think it was almost as much psychological as anything. You you have to wonder if they had known that Williamson was going to be out that entire game from the start, would they have hung with Carolina a little bit better than they did? I kind of wonder that. Oh, they definitely would have. I, I, I saw some people – You're, I mean, a lot of people hate Duke. You know, big shocker there. Um, well, yeah, I live in Kentucky pretty much. If, yeah. If you I don't, can, you'll get exiled. Yeah, I people, can imagine. People still get angry at that Christian Leitner shot. It was, what, <laughs> like four centuries ago. Yeah, I know. What What is the uh, – what's the statute of limitations on a, on a slight in the sporting world? <laughs> Apparently there is none in Kentucky. Yeah. So, so yeah. I mean, it, it's tough. I, I saw some people making fun of Duke, saying that well, it goes to show you what a crappy team they are because they still have like three or four All Americans and yet fell apart that badly with this one kid going down. But you're right. I mean, you 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 practice for the team that you have, and when you're and 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 so where where we make a big deal about how in basketball, of course, one guy's twenty percent of your offense and defense, and you know that he's playing a huge chunk of minutes and he's a starter when that guy goes down in the first 30 seconds of the game. I mean, yeah, you're, 
I mean, you're you're going to put somebody in his spot and you're going to carry on. But yeah, it's it's totally changing your game plan. So, but it, it looks like he will come back. So I'll, I'll be interested to see what kind of Zion Williamson comes back, especially if you have people in your ear telling you, dude, you're already the number one pick. Right. You know. But we'll see. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you talking about the injury, uh, and and how much impact that has. They were talking about uh, for Kentucky, Reed Travis. He went down with the sprained knee. They expect him to be out a couple of weeks, and uh, they were talking about in the pregame what how significant that was in terms of altering the rotation and how will this you know how will guys play together and how will he substitute and so you know that is an injury that you knew about beforehand and they could plan for and game plan for uh, you're, you're thrown into a situation with Duke where 30 seconds into the, into the game, you're forced to create a whole new game plan. So yeah, you know, just, to, just to not to dwell on that, but something to consider. Uh, speaking of only being 30 seconds in and having to come up with a new game plan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a transition that was. I know. Right. So, Patriots owner, Robert Kraft, Ew. I know, <laughs> is is caught up in a prostitution sting down in Florida, and that was uh, front page news for ESPN. Uh, I think the big, the big story here at this point, especially in the modern NFL that we have, it barely even matters what the charges are and what the verdict is. What matters is, is how is he running afoul of the league's uh, what, what's, what's the phrase I'm looking for here? The league's conduct policy, yeah, kind of personal conduct or yes. So we've, we've seen, we have many examples at this point of, of players and, and to be in really quickly, theoretically owners are held to a much higher standard than the players are. So if a player would say be find X and banned Y games, then the owner would be exponentially more. Right. Um, We've seen several instances where players ultimately are exonerated of whatever claims are made against them only to still be fined and banned games due to the conduct policy right. of the NFL. Um, I've never really liked that, not going to lie. Of course, me being a Cowboys fan and liking Ezekiel Elliott, you, I mean, <laughs> you can call that a homer pick, but I mean, let's, let's call it what it is. The dude was I mean I don't even think he was actually ever charged with anything much right. less convicted of anything and yet he still had like a six game suspension yeah so I, I don't want to rehash all that but I'm just saying to 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 begin the the conversation I don't like the fact that it re- at this point we don't even care anymore what the verdict is on his actual trial because he's going to be punished by the NFL no matter what. Right. It's it's your you're basing the punishment on perception. So mm-hmm. there's the perception that he's a gross old man and uh so therefore dot dot dot. And you know, I don't I don't particularly like it either, but then that's the way that they've written this conduct policy, which you know maybe they need to revisit that. Mm-hmm. So I feel like there's there's kind of two directions we could go with this one. The first one being is that of course we are libertarians who do a do a sports show. You know, I I would love to say that if a gentleman wants to go to a massage parlor where he pays a little bit extra, then uh you should have the right to do that. Right? And that uh, massage parlor if if everything is between consenting results and voluntary should be allowed to offer those services. And it shouldn't be the NFL or anyone else's business. 
I agree. However, Robert Kraft owns New England Patriots, and they all signed these contracts. They Hell, they hired Roger Goodell, did they not? And they all agreed to these conduct policies, correct? I believe. And if this if this private organization says we want you saying and acting a certain way, and if not, you run afoul of us, then that's also none of our business. Yeah, kind of a between a rock and a hard place. There is a third option. What's that? We could just cheer the whole thing because it happened to Kraft <laughs> and the Patriots. There has been a little talk of will this be worse for him because the Patriots already have a bit of a history with Goodell and the league at large. And to be fair, while while I'm somewhat on Kraft's side in the sense of I don't think that this should be against the law, nor do I think that an organization should be penalizing you for something that you're not even found guilty of in the first place, because this is still pending. Right. Um, at the same time, they call them the Cheatriots for a reason, Mike. This isn't the first time that the Patriots organization has run afoul of the NFL. Harkening uh, back to when uh, the Patriots were caught illegally recording uh, right. calls on the opponent's sideline, which is a, a big no-no, and they were they were fined for this. Uh, I believe Bill Belichick was personally fined for that one as well. Yeah, he was. Uh, uh, he fought, the the Patriots were fined two hundred fifty thousand, which you know is three pennies, and Bill Belichick was fined half a million personally, which I'm sure Robert Kraft probably just handed him a check and said, "Here, pay it off." But right. that's a pretty that is a pretty significant fine, sure. even for people who make the kind of money they make. Um, that was all the way back in two thousand seven. Of course, fast forward to twenty fifteen. They find the Patriots $1 million and strip them of two draft choices and suspend Tom Brady as a part of the whole Deflategate yeah, investigation. Deflategate. You can't forget Deflategate. Deflategate, which apparently was not a problem for Mr. Kraft. No, that wasn't a problem for Mr. Kraft. Uh, but it's in, in, in no matter what your opinions are of Deflategate, you know, big surprise here. Most Patriots fan thinks it's hard, well, hogwash, and thirty the fans of all 31 other right. teams think they should be permanently banned from the NFL. Um, the point still remains that this this is a team that under in the Kraft Belichick era has been caught breaking the rules on multiple occasions, and the penalties tend to escalate for multiple infractions. So while this isn't necessarily related to sportsmanship or gamesmanship, uh, this will this will be the third major scandal to take place during the same era for the team. Does that mean that the consequences will be that much more severe? Yeah, hard to tell. I mean, I, and I think that's a little bit what kind of bothers me about it is this has absolutely nothing to do with football or anything. No. And and it's you know it's one of those things like, I mean, just thinking about it makes me go you. Yeah. But, I mean. How many of those other owners are doing, you know, the same kind of stuff? You know? Yeah. I mean, maybe they well, like maybe they like high priced hookers instead of the the <laughs> hookers at the orchid spa, but you know, I don't know. the The whole thing is just kind of sleazy and gross, and it's like I'd almost just wish it would go away. I was under the understanding that when you're a billionaire with a B, the they actually come to you as a you as opposed to you having to go to their massage parlor. But right. obviously, I was mistaken. Well, you know, 
Maybe it's the maybe it's the thrill of the chase or something. I don't know. It you know it also reminds me of the uh, the bounty gate that the Saints had to deal with as well, right. where I know everybody wanted to jump down Greg Williams's Williamson's throat and and get on the Saints for the whole bounty gate situation. That that for people who are totally clueless, that was where they were. Uh, allegedly paying bonuses to players to headhunt basically on right. the field. I'm, sure, that de- I'm sure that's never happened in any other team. Exactly. That's exactly <laughs> where I was going with this. Is I, I'm, I'm willing to bet, I, you know me, I'm a gambling man. I'm willing to bet that 32 out of 32 NFL teams can do that, do that in some way. Right. I, I just, I, I would be shocked if you could find one franchise that doesn't, slip a few extra checks to players for going out there and getting the job done as they say. Right. Just saying. But then there's the other side of that coin. Don't be stupid enough to get caught. Yeah, definitely don't get (laughs) caught. Uh, And you know, what's funny is, is that for all the success the Patriots had, you know, getting caught multiple times doing things, whether, whether you agree with the policy or not, whether you think that the cheating is significant or not, I don't know how much benefit you get from taping signals. But the fact of the matter is, is that there's a rule book and the rule book says don't tape signals. Right, exactly. So, you know, I mean, you can say it's my homerism of hating the Patriots all you want, but I put asterisks all over those bad boys because they've cheated multiple times. It's not even right. like they caught. It's not like one equipment guy got caught one time giving an exploding shoe to Zion Williamson. Right. This is this is multiple infractions over an era of the same administration. So it just kind of kind of sours me on the whole thing. I don't know. I don't know. Interesting. We'll see what happens, I guess. Speaking of interesting, I'm ready for a segment now where I'm basically not going to speak for like 20 minutes. <laughs> well, hopefully. <laughs> I hope it doesn't take 20 minutes. But Okay. Uh, but yeah, we're going to talk a little NHL trade deadline, which just Ooh. passed as we're recording this about three hours ago. So there actually could be uh, some trades that have not come down the wire yet. But I think all of the significant uh, moves have been made. and. NHL trade de- deadlines interesting. Uh, you know, football trade deadlines always kind of ho hum. You don't see a whole lot of trades go down every once in a while. You get one, but the, the NHL trade deadline, it's like, uh, it's like Black Friday at Walmart. You know, you got you got the buyers and the sellers, the teams that don't think they're going to make the playoffs. They're trying to offload contracts, and uh, teams that are making a playoff push are trying to get those extra pieces. So it's it's always an interesting day, and, and it's a big day for fans, and all of us hockey people watch it with uh, bated breath, I guess. So kind of run through some of these. I think the biggest winner uh, at the trade deadline were your Nashville Predators. Um, they oh, got a, really? Yeah, they made a couple of big moves. Uh, they got rid of struggling forward Kevin Fiala. Uh, they sent him off to the Minnesota Wild, and in return got Mikhail Granlund, uh, which was a straight-up deal player for player. Now, a lot of Nashville fans might be a little bit unhappy with this deal because uh, Fila was was a pretty popular guy. Um, but he was struggling this year. He's, uh, I think he's got 10 goals on the season. Uh, so, you know, they picked up a guy that... Um, is going to pretty consistently score 20 goals. Uh, he's actually uh, got 34 points this season. He was third in goals for the uh, for the Senators with 15, uh, and he's on pace for a 20-goal season. So 
I actually, I just said Ottawa. It's not Ottawa. It's Minnesota is where he came from. I'm thinking ahead. But anyway, uh, the Wild may end up getting the better end of this deal down the road because I think Fila has more upside. He had 23 goals and 25 assists last year, which was his second full season in the NHL. He's only 22. So he's kind of a sophomore slump kind of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, might get a change of scenery and and put things back together. But the Preds are in a position where they need to win now, and uh, sure, you know they're looking for they're looking for that that little scoring touch. And then they also picked up, and this is this was my favorite player that was speculated to be moved. They picked up Wayne Simmons from the Flyers. Uh, you might have noticed Wayne playing in the rain. Uh, he is a bruising forward, very physical presence, big body, likes to get in front of the net. Uh, I was really hoping that the Lightning might pick him up because I think they could have used his muscle. But uh, he's going to the Preds, and uh, he'll definitely add a little bit of uh, uh, just a little bit of nastiness in front of the net for them. So I really like those two moves. Uh, you know, they're like I said, they're pushing for that playoff spot. Um, they're they're still in that cup window. But a lot of people think that you know they may be down to their last couple of years. So um, mm-hmm. good on the uh, the Preds. Uh, let's look at the uh, Vegas Knights, who are another team that is kind of in that playoff push. Uh, they made the last big move of the day. They picked up Mark Stone from Ottawa. Uh, he was the leading scorer for the Senators with 28 goals. He has 62 points. Uh the Knights gave up Oscar Lindbergh, who has only 12 points uh, in 35 games this season, and then also a prospect and a draft pick. So, uh, again, Knights looking to add scoring now for their playoff run. Uh, they're currently third in the Pacific. Uh, Stone is a free agent this summer, so he might be a rental player. Uh, so they might you know, just use him for the rest of the year and then let him go. Or they might try to sign him. I'm, I'm not real sure what Vegas' long-term plans are, but... But obviously, they think they have a cup window, and I mean, you know, they made it to the finals last year, so there's no reason that they that they shouldn't think that. Uh, Vegas is chasing the San Jose Sharks, who are in second in the Pacific, and they made a move of their own. They sent two draft picks to the Red Wings and picked up uh, Gustav Neuquist uh, with 16 goals and 33 assists. Uh, the Sharks have made a lot of moves this year, um, and and they're obviously trying to to make that one last cup run before uh, big Mr. Thornton goes on his way. He's only got a couple of years left, I would say. So I think a lot of people would like to see him win his cup. So that's a pretty good move for them. Um, let's see. I think the big one of the biggest deals that we saw was actually the deal that, that didn't happen. Uh, there was a lot of uh, speculation that the Columbus Blue Jackets might move Artemi Panarin. He's a, a scoring forward, and their goalie, Sergei Brabos- Bobrovsky. I love saying that, Bobrovsky. Um, they are both in the final year of their contract, so they're going to have to be re-signed. Uh, and, and the Blue Jackets are kind of on that cusp. They're in the playoffs right now. They're, they're holding this third slot in the Metropolitan, but they're just a point behind Pittsburgh and the Hurricanes. So it was kind of coming up to trade deadline. It was, it was, will Columbus be a buyer or a seller? And as it turned out, they were a buyer. They're, they're thinking they can make a, make a run into the playoffs. Uh, they also picked up Matt Duchesne along with defenseman Julius Bergman from Ottawa. So Ottawa, a big seller, which shouldn't be, 
surprising since they're in the cellar. Um, but uh, Matt is a 12-year veteran with 27 goals on the season along with 38 assists. So um, look for Columbus to make a run. I think they think that they can they can edge out the Penguins. And, you know, if the Penguins didn't make the playoffs, that would not make me sad. So uh, over in the West, the Winnipeg Jets got Kevin Hayes. He was another guy that was expected to move that a lot of people were, were speculating where he might go. They picked him up for the Rangers from a, for a uh, draft pick and forward Brendan Lemieux, who's kind of a younger, up-and-coming player. Uh, Hayes has 14 goals, 28 assists. He'll be kind of a second-line guy. So what you're seeing with a lot of these teams in this in the trade deadline is they're picking up what you would call secondary scoring. So you know they've got their top line set. They're getting the scoring they want for the second line. They're looking for those... Uh, those guys that can kind of fill in because when you get into playoff time in the hockey in hockey, a lot of times teams will shut down that first line. So if you don't have any scoring, uh, you know, in your second and third lines, you're going to be in trouble when it gets into playoff games. Boston learned that the hard way last year. Uh, the Jets also picked up forward Matt Hendricks from the Wild for a 2020 draft pick, and uh, he's kind of a muscle guy, so it's going to add a little strength. So the Jets. They're sitting in first place in the division. Uh, made a couple of good moves. Speaking of the Rangers, the Rangers have basically been holding a fire sale for the last two seasons. Um, so they got rid of Hayes. They also traded winger Matt Zuccarello to the Dallas Stars. Uh, Zuccarello's been in the league for nine years, so he adds that veteran leadership. Uh, he can still put the puck in the net. He's he's a, still a pretty consistent 20-goal scorer. Uh, in fact, he uh, scored in his first game with the Dallas Stars, got a goal and an assist. So Dallas is the first wild card team in the West right now. They're hoping to make that playoff push, and, and I think Zuccarello is a good pickup for them. Um, for the Rangers, it was a sad day. They actually interviewed uh, the goalie, uh, Lundquist, and he was he got choked up about Zuccarello moving. Uh, I think he's, they were pretty good friends, and... I think Lundqvist sees his playoff uh, hopes, his hopes for ever winning a handy Stanley Cup, fading into the sunset, which is which is kind of a shame because he's a heck of a goalie. Um, so yeah, that's the Rangers fire fire sale. I mentioned Boston. Uh, Boston picked up Marcus Johansson at the last moment for a couple of draft picks. Uh, Twelve goal scorer on the season. Um, another guy that can provide some secondary scoring. Like I said, that was a problem for Boston last year. Boston arguably has the best first line in the NHL. Uh, but when they played the Lightning last year, Lightning just shut down that first line. They didn't have anybody else that could score. So uh, Johansson comes over from New Jersey, and uh, they can plug him in second, third line, and, uh, and maybe get a few points out of him when it comes down to playoff games. So... Those were pretty much the the big moves. Like I said, I think the big winner <clears throat> was uh, Nashville. I like Vegas's pickup. Um, I think that the uh, the Jets moves were pretty good. I don't know about Boston. I, some people say that was kind of a seemed like a last minute panic move. Like we've got to do something. Um, so. We'll see if that works out for them. And then for my Tampa Bay Lightning, they didn't make any moves at all, which I guess if you're far and away the best team in the NHL, you're pretty content staying put. So um, there you go. That's the uh, that's the big trade news in the NHL. 
Let me let me hit you with one follow up question, sure. so you feel like this all, <laughs> so that you feel like there was a purpose to that whole segment. <laughs> there was because all of our fan Clay, yeah. Clay's a hockey guy. He'll be interested. Oh, he is. Yeah, he likes oh, well, hockey. He's a Capitals fan. Well, there you go. That's yeah. well. I'm, I hate to hear that, but that's cool. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> let let me ask you this. Since we were actually just at the at the top of the show, we were talking about a player being knocked out right at the start of the game and having to throw your whole game plan out. Um, do you feel like hockey teams say they make one or two big free agent moves um, right before the playoff season? Is that enough time for those new players? To, I mean, I guess what I, this is more of just a philosophical hockey question because I'm not a big hockey guy. Can players like that be plugged into a new system and be big-time contributors that soon? Or is there going to be a little bit of a learning period from one to the next? Or is there just not that much different from one team to the next? Well, I think the, the adjustment is learning to play with new line mates. Um, but what you normally see and what certainly was the case this year is the teams that pick up players that are on that playoff push. Generally, they're picking up veterans uh, mm-hmm. and, and and folks that have some experience. So, you know, these are guys that that not only bring a little bit of scoring punch, but they also bring that that leadership and that locker room qualities. And that's part of what they're looking for. You know, last year the the Lightning. Uh, they picked up uh, a couple of players in, in the end. Um, actually, it was two years ago when they picked up Callahan from the Rangers and uh, ended up signing him to a long-term contract. But they picked him up as much as anything for that veteran leadership. And and you can't underestimate that in a playoff run, uh, having those guys in the locker room that have been through it that can, that can take the young guys under the wing and say, you know, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going on. Don't worry about this, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that that for the most part, you see these guys plug right in. I mean, you know, I, I mentioned uh, Zuccarello. You know, he goes to Dallas, first game, gets a goal and an assist. So, you know, when you get down to it, hockey's hockey. Uh, there, there's, there's certainly systems, but it's not nearly – as system oriented as uh, you would see in say the the NFL you know where you've mm-hmm. got a scheme or whatnot. And, and really in hockey your your system is more defensive oriented so you'll have a, a defensive system uh, and a defensive philosophy that you're trying to handle but for your forwards uh, you know those guys it's it's three guys you know wingers do winger stuff centers do center stuff it it translates over pretty good so uh, you know I, you have the rare case where guys just don't fit in a locker room, but most of these GMs, they do a good job doing their research, and, and they know who they're bringing in. And uh, I think these kind of moves this time of year tend to – they tend to generally play out play out well. Uh, I, I can't think of a whole lot off the top of my head over the last couple of years that you're kind of like, oh, that didn't work. Hmm. Well, all right. I learned something today. Me too. <laughs> I don't know what yet, but I'm sure I learned something. Well, it's time for us to go on an adventure, Mike. Oh, it is time. I love adventures. It's adventures in officiating. Oh, oh yay! 
this is probably my my favorite newer segment that we yes. have is adventures in officiating and we're going to the nba for last week's celtics bucks game something the nba does that i think is kind of unique but i i also think it's just it it does nothing but cause problems is they actually have something called the NBA last two minute report where they will do a, a, a report of the final two minutes of a game talking about the calls, non calls, uh, that, that might have decided a close contest. First of all, again, I think it's retarded. They even do it because they're not going to change the outcome of anything. Right. So it just makes people mad. It just makes people mad. And so there was the bucks defeated the Celtics 98 to 97. Mm Mm-hmm. The NBA's last two-minute report goes as follows. There was three incorrect calls on the final play alone. Yikes. <laughs> the, there was an incorrect ruling on the tip-in by Brooke Lopez with 3.7 seconds remaining. The tip-in came after a jump ball, which calls, which was caused when Buck stars Giannis, uh, I'm not going to say his last name, was tied up by Celtics guard Market Smart with 0.2 remaining on the shot clock. Uh, Giannis won the subsequent tip and hit the ball towards Lopez, who was positioned right near the rim. Lopez succeeded in tipping in the ball, which seemed to potentially allow the final seconds to slip away to seal Milwaukee's victory. However, officials ruled at the time that Lopez had attempted to shoot rather than to tip, because yes, those are different things. (laughs) I thought that a tip-in was effectively a A shot, shot. because, I mean, if it goes in, it's a score. How could a score be from anything other than a (laughs) shot? Uh, And because there's only .2 seconds on the clock, rather than the .3, which is the time required to get off a shot, yes, that's also a thing in the NBA, it was deemed a shot clock violation. Crew chief Mike Callahan confirmed that the ruling on the floor with a pool reporter following Thursday's game. The last two-minute report, however, said that it should have, in fact, been ruled a tip, and thus Lopez's shot should have counted. The ensuing possession for the Celtics, however, was filled with even more issues. Three three calls were missed. First, an illegal screen by Kyrie Irving. Then, a subsequent hold by Chris Middleton— on Marcus Morris to prevent him from using Kyrie Irving's illegal screen. And then Eric Bledsoe fell on Irving on his drive before he missed what would have been the game-winning shot. So let's go over this final segment again. Kyrie Irving sets an illegal screen. This should have been whistled. He sets the screen on Chris Middleton. Chris Middleton then subsequently holds Kyrie Irving. You could argue he's holding them because he's being illegally screened, but I digress. Which then prevents Marcus Morris from using the screen, which is the whole point of setting a screen in the first place. After that, Morris kicks the ball back out to Kyrie Irving for what would ultimately be the final shot of the contest. He missed it, so the Celtics lose. It's a one-point game, so if he makes it, they win. Right. Um, He was fouled by another Bucks player, Bledsoe, on his drive to the rim. They were in the bonus, so he would have gotten two free throws. He makes one. It's a tie to overtime. He makes two. They win the game. They also didn't call the foul on the drive. All of that happened just in literally the last few, <laughs> the last three point five of the game, but the the final two minute report shows the whole series of events leading up to that score change being what it was. I, I want to leave with one final thought. Not only is the last two minute report retarded, but they don't do, they will never do a report like this for a whole game. You ask why? 
Well, the first obvious answer is, is it would take a long time, right? Like you've got a slow, you've got a slow motion, a full shot of the court, and follow every single player and judging everything they do. So I'm sure doing a doing a a report of an entire game would take a long time to physically sure. conduct. But there's another key reason. It's that if you can find 5, 10, 15 <laughs> incorrect calls in the last two minutes alone, imagine how many incorrect calls they would find by diagramming an entire game. Yeah. You know what the next two words that officiating crew should hear? What? You're fired? You're fired. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's, that's, that's correct. It's Again, I've said this on the program a number of times. I, I don't want to get into conspiracy theories, although, by the way, we are at the anniversary of the uh, uh, the uh, Tom Donahue, the the referee who was caught uh, point fixing and oh, yeah. and was sent to jail because he was involved in a gambling scheme. So it's not really a conspiracy when you actually know for a fact it's happened <laughs> before in the past. But the average person is going to lose faith in the league when the league continues to make boneheaded mistake after boneheaded mistake after boneheaded mistake. That's right. Speaking of boneheaded mistakes, it's time for the Libertarian Party Team of the Week. Now, this is my favorite segment. Yes. I always enjoy the LP Team of the Week. We're going down to men's college basketball for the LP Team of the Week. This week, it's the Louisville Cardinals. Oh, right down the road. Right down the road. Yeah, your favorite Louisville. Everyone in Lexington loves the Louisville Cardinals. I just know it. <laughs> yes. The Cards led for the first 30 minutes of the game with a margin as high as 12. Nice. And a comfortable 10-point lead for large stretches. And then never led again. Ouch. With a final margin of defeat of 12. Ooh. One minute into the second half, they had a 12-point lead. From that moment forward... They were outscored 37 to 13. Yikes. Only scoring 13 points in the last 19 minutes of the second half is a a 10 out of 10 yikers. Yes, it is. They are the LP team of the week. But well, congratulations to the Cardinals. Couldn't happen to a better bunch. It, it, it really couldn't. I try to have a different LP team of the week each time we do it, although we'll find out later in today's program. The pillow fight somehow stays the same, <laughs> yes. but the LP team of the week changes. But it's time to wipe those grins off our faces. Yes. It's time for the most solemn segment that we do. It's in memoriam where yes. we think of a player, a coach, a team, or whatever, whose sporting life was cut unnaturally short. Mike, who are you remembering this week? Well, this week... I will be remembering your Philadelphia Flyers. Oh, uh, what? Yeah, but they, they just—they won. They, they just got all of my positive mojo for hockey. Yes, all but, of it. But the GM clearly has called it quits. <laughs> now, interestingly, the Flyers are only seven points out of playoff contention. But at this point in the season, seven points is quite a margin to make up when you have multiple teams in front of you. And the fact that the Flyers sent Wade Simmons off to the beloved Nashville Predators is uh, all the indication that you need that uh, the the GM has decided we're building for next year. In fact, he's pretty much said we're building for next year. When your GM gives up on you, you're probably done. So Philadelphia Flyers, you are in memoriam this week. I wonder I wonder what the feeling is like in the locker room when, you know, they just had the big emotional comeback victory in the in the outdoor spectacle. 
uh, you're you're in warmups today, and they come into the locker room and say, "Good news, everybody! Simmons, pack your stuff. We're we're uh, rebuilding for next year." <laughs> and everyone else, I mean, I guess Simmons just gets his bag and leaves. Everyone else just sits there and looks around, like, "So do we? Do we have to practice the rest of the day, or can we go home?" Yeah, you know what Simmons is thinking? He's thinking, "Hot damn, I got a chance for a cup now." <laughs> I know I'm seal losers. I'm going to a team that's actually in the playoffs, but, but seriously though, all joking aside, I mean, you have to think there has to be an air in the locker room of, well, why should we be giving 110% in practice the rest of this week? Right. Right. Cause it's over. You're, you're literally telling us it's over. Well, watch, we'll watch the flyers. Cause wouldn't it be crazy if they actually came back and were resurrected and then we could have the uh, resurrection team of the week. Oh yeah, I don't I, think that'll happen. But I was just about to say that it would it would it would serve the GM right for the Flyers to somehow sneak into the final playoff spot. They don't have to win the cup, but if they snuck into the playoffs and let's say they won they won their first round matchup, right. then that would then that, that's going to leave all of the Flyers fans saying, "Yeah, thanks a lot, jerk. You traded off one of our best players when we were." We were a contender. Of course, Flyers fans won't use the term jerk. No, I, I, <laughs> I had to pause for a second to keep the show at least relatively well rated. But no, Philly fans don't say jerk very much. I'll tell you this week, I'm remembering, even though we don't know this for certain, I'm remembering the college career of Zion Williamson. Uh, it was a good it turns out It turns out that uh, Kentucky, Kansas, uh, North Carolina even, the first time. Some of the best teams in the country could not derail Zion Williams's ascent to the top of college basketball, nay, the NBA. But an exploding shoe could. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> that just that just sounds weird. <laughs> I know. It's it's we this is this is why one day we're gonna have to make this a a visual program and not because because we would just have a re a, a just a recurring replay of the exploding shoe playing yes. the entire segment. It's amazing. it's it is genuinely that amazing. Um, as I said earlier, there Coach K is saying that they have not talked about shutting Williamson down for the year. That it's it's an injury that maybe with a week or two of rest he could rehab from it. So, so they're thinking. I mean, we're we're sitting here at the end of February. They're thinking if he sits maybe the rest of the regular season, they can go into tourney time with him healthy. Right. I think what that again, what I think that doesn't take into consideration is Zion Williamson himself saying, "Well, you know, my mom talked to this guy named Mister So and So at such and such agency, and he says I shouldn't play anymore." Yeah. And and as I've said on this program a number of times, I will a, a homer of a team wants their best players playing because they want to win. And I understand the emotion that goes in, in pride that goes into sports and, and fandom. But I will never I will never judge a kid who's getting ready to make seven or eight figures about whether or not he decides to play that week. I'm with you. So, well, I'm glad you're with me because it's time for the week 27 pick'em. It is. These are hard. This, I, you know, I'm getting, I'm getting into this different sort of pick'em where we do less picks, but the picks are kind of tough. Does is that good or is that bad? I don't know. You, well, it, it makes me, it makes me think. I'm not sure if that's good. Come or along, not. everyone. Let's find out. That's let's what I'm do saying. it. There we uh, go. That's what I'm saying to our audience of Clay. Come along, Clay. Let's Come on, find Clay. Out. Let's find out. So we're starting off in the NHL. This is this has been this is a lot of hockey for me. All right, it is. Have, it's been kind you, of a hockey heavy show. 
you you have to you have to bear with me here. This is all the ho- this is all of the hockey I know, all of it. We're going to start off with the Washington Capitals with 75 points going to New York to play the Islanders who have 77 points. I specifically picked this just because I feel like the boneheaded uh, non-fan like myself would pick the Capitals just because they're the more popular team. But it's in New York and they're leading. So who do you have? You know, this is really hard to pick uh, because – you know, you look at their you look at their home and away records. They're they're pretty even. Uh, mm-hmm. They they match up pretty well. And and the New York Islanders are a little bit of a surprise this year. Uh, I think a lot of people thought that they would be much improved with uh, with uh, old Gary Trotz. Gary, I don't think that's his first name. Barry Barry Gary Trotz. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, where did I get Gary? Um, <laughs> it's his evil twin. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you'll, you'll remember that last season after winning the Stanley Cup, he packed up his uh, NHL championship ring and went to the Islanders because the Capitals never did bother to lock him up for an extended contract. So um, he's definitely done some magic with the Isles. And uh, all of this tells, tells you nothing about who's going to win this game. I think it could go. It could really go either way. I mean, um, you know, and, and you look at motivation. The Islanders are motivated. They want to win the the division. The uh, Capitals are motivated because uh, you know they want to overtake the Islanders. They're chasing. I'm going to give it to the Isles uh, just because they're playing at home. Uh, I, I I like the Islanders on home ice. We'll say four three. I think it's going to be a close game, but I would not be surprised if it if it flipped the other way either. Washington, you know, they got off to a pretty slow start, and uh, they've they've kind of pulled things together here late in the season. So, um, they're they're definitely trying to round themselves back into playoff form. But um, so we'll go Isles four three. What do you think? I'm going to say 3-2 Islanders, and but I do that with a heavy heart because, you know, this past week was was our friend Daniel Blanchett's birthday, and he'll never listen to sports ball ever again now because we're both picking against the Capitals. <laughs> yes. You know, and Daniel knows his hockey, so. Yeah. But. Well, then he should know that they're going to lose. <laughs> so, there you go. There you go. We're moving on to the NBA for another – Intriguing matchup. It's the Golden State Warriors, everybody's love child, the Golden State Warriors, uh, 42 and 16 on the year. Uh, Still probably, still arguably the team to beat because of so much recent success, but they are not quite as clean this year as they have been throughout their dynasty. I I mean, I think it's safe to say they're a dynasty, right? Yeah. At this point. I mean, more than more than safe to say this is not their strongest year of, of their dynasty years. Um, it's still basically the same unit, so they could certainly turn it around and blow everyone out in the postseason. But they're but they're not perfect. At Philadelphia 76ers, who are a surprisingly good team this year, they're they're another one. Uh, looking at the NBA side of things, I think people expected the 76ers to be pretty decent. But when you have such a top heavy league like with Golden State, um, like with a team like the Rockets, you 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 tend to think, well, it's them versus everybody else because there's just not enough. You have all these super teams. You have free agents all signing in the same two or three teams, and everyone else is left wanting. The 76ers don't have the star power that Golden State does, but they are a very respectable 38-21. and 21. Uh, I think they've won five of their last six, and they're playing at home. And, and something I'm going to factor into my pick here, 
Philadelphia needs this game more, which has been something that has hurt Golden State the last couple of seasons, that they've gotten a little bit complacent. And I know Coach Steve Kerr is none too pleased with seeing his all-stars dogging it up and down the court. So who do you have? Well, you know, pretty much everything I know about the NBA and these two teams you just told me. Well, then based on what I just told you, what's your pick? I'm going with the Sixers, and, and I'm just taking that home field. Home field? Good grief. Yeah. Well, the ho- hockey's played in a pond. Oh, well, yeah, that's now, true. And, and now we have, the NBA, we have the NBA on a home field coached by Gary Trotz of the uh... – <laughs> anyway, I, I'm, I'm picking uh, Philly based on home court. And uh, and the fact that Philly won the uh, the most recent matchup between the two, I figured they can they can repeat that. But I think it'll be close, like one twelve, one oh eight, something like that. Yeah, I mean, I I could definitely see that. I I want to pick the seventy sixers, I really do, and I and I think it matters more in in basketball in 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 the NBA the way the the way the postseason is seeded. Um, the way it is a very top-heavy league, I think it matters more when a team needs the win more. They're going to play harder, whereas the other team is thinking, we can phone it in for a week and we're still going to be relatively assured our seating, so who cares, right? Right. With that said, I think I think Golden State comes back and wins this one. I, I'm, I'm, I'm putting it on the shoulders of Coach Kerr that I do genuinely think Steve Kerr is a great head coach. Um Yes, they've had motivation issues, but yes, he's also a great coach. And so it's kind of like, well, those those contradict, right? Like if he was such a great coach, he wouldn't he wouldn't have players dogging it. I think it's just tough. I mean, I, I think I, I wish we had if we if we had a championship winning athlete on our show, I think one of the questions would be, how do you deal with a locker room when after you've enjoyed success, you're looking into the eyes of some of your teammates and you don't see the fire that you used to see? And I think Golden State has suffered from that. With that said, I think they don't want to go in there and lose back-to-back games to the 76ers. So I th- I'm going to say 111-107 Golden State. Well, then we'll have to just agree to disagree on that one. Yeah, I know. So basically, I'm going to do the whole segment saying I think the 76ers can win it and then pick Golden State. <laughs> <laughs> but in, in possibly... I, I would say that this is the greatest pillow fight of all time, but it, we've already had it once. How could it get any better? The pillow fight this week, it's the Cleveland Cavaliers this time traveling to New York to play the Knicks as opposed to the Knicks traveling to Cleveland to play the Cavaliers. The Cavs, 13-46, and 46, uh, a mega 5-24 and 24 away playing the New York Knicks, who are 11-48 and 48 at home. This actually needs to be updated. 11 and 48 or they're 12 and 48. They're five and 24 at home because they just won their first home game in 17 attempts last night. Oh, wow. <laughs> they, did. they, they were on their way to tying the record for most consecutive home defeats before they actually played a pretty dominant game. And I, I blow out is probably too heavy to say, but it was a solid win against a decent Spurs team and they led pretty much the whole way. So I don't know if that was them blowing their whole wad or if that's sign of things to come, but who do you have Cavs at Knicks? Do you even have to ask? <laughs> you're going to go with the Knicks, aren't you? No. Oh, you're going to go with the Cavs? No, I'm just kidding. I always go against the Cavs. I'm going with the Knicks, okay. man. 
That's what I that's what I thought. You've you've picked against the Cavs in every one of our pillow fights. I have. It's yeah. it's a trend. So, you know, I think just for that reason, I'm going to go with the Cavs. In fact, in fact, I'm pretty sure I've been right in all these pillow fights. I think the moral of the story here is is that if you can find a team even worse than Cleveland, then pick Cleveland. If it's anyone else, pick against Cleveland. <laughs> but I think the Knicks are a worse team than Cleveland. So I'm going to So even though they just had an awesome home victory, uh, I'm actually going to pick the Cavs 108-99. Well, all right. <laughs> do you have a final thought? I do have a final thought. Ooh, hit me. Back to hockey. The Tampa Bay Lightning right now. Oh, imagine my surprise. It's yes, about Tampa it's, it's Bay. a Homer. It's a Homer final thought. But you know okay. what? I can do right. I can do Homer final All thought right. if I want to. All right. Right now the Lightning are at ninety eight points. We still have uh, like what, twenty games left in the season? Mm-hmm. And let's see, the Lightning are at how many wins? I had this pulled up a second ago, and then I deleted it because I was looking at something else, which is lame. 47 wins. Mm -hmm. The NHL record for number of wins is 62. It's held by the Detroit Red Wings. There's only two teams that have ever topped 60 wins in a season, the aforementioned Detroit Red Wings and the Montreal Canadiens back in the 1970s. The Lightning have a legitimate shot of breaking that 60-win mark. They would need to go 15-5 and five through the rest of their games this year in order to capture that mark. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the rate that they're going, I think they're like 8-0-2 and in their last 10 games. So that's the kind of pace that they're on. So certainly within reach. Now, here's what's amazing about this, though. The Red Wings and the Canadians both set those records during the time before the implementation of the salary cap. You are not supposed to have a team this dominant in the NHL with the uh, the eye towards parity. So you are seeing a his, an, an historic, an historic, see, I can't talk, a historic <laughs> uh, season being played out by the Tampa Bay Lightning, which I have to admit as a Lightning fan makes me really nervous because <laughs> we have the potential of having the Lightning listed among some of the greatest teams ever in the NHL. We also have the potential for the Lightning to have the biggest uh, meltdown and uh, disappointment in the history of the NHL. So, which will it be? We shall see as the season plays out. Yeah. Well, this is this is going to bring up the age-old question. This happens, it seems like, every year in one league or another, that it— from the moment at which Tampa Bay has secured the number one seed, do you go for records or do you prepare yourself for the postseason? That's a good question. Yeah. I have a feeling knowing the personality of John Cooper, he's going to go for the records. He's not going to want to take his foot off the gas because – I, and I have seen teams do this that coast into the playoffs and then can't get it going again in that in that first round and end up getting bounced. Uh, I yeah. think there's I think there's a lot to be said for momentum, especially in hockey. Uh, you also have a situation where uh, Kucherov uh, he's already got a hundred points 
which is just insane. Uh, so he's going for the scoring record. I think they're going to keep their foot on the gas. Um, but, you know, ultimately the, the goal is to win that Stanley Cup. And I guarantee you at the end of the year, if they're not holding that cup up, all of this other stuff's not going to mean a thing. So, yeah, I, th- I think that that's generally what the consensus position is, is that it, at the end of the day, it's the it's the championship that matters. I do want to point out before I move on to my final thought that I do I do because you are the Tampa Bay super fan. I really do hope they set the record. I, I really do. I, I really hope they set the all time record and and it, and only only for this reason alone. So that when you bring up, hey, did you know that Tampa Bay had the most successful season of all time? My reply will be, yeah, they got swept by the Predators. Oh, ouch. Just saying. Well, the Predators, the Predators have a long road to hoe to even get to the finals. The West has got some teams that I think match up pretty well. No, I'm not talking about the finals. I'm talking about the, the, the series. That oh, well, yeah. The, the, but that's not true. If you're if you're the Predators, you hope that you don't play Tampa Bay again this year, both so that you don't have a strong team to play against in the playoffs. But even if you don't win, you can say, well, I mean, we played the best team. And- but, but they didn't sweep because the Predators lost to the Lightning 5-2 on September 22nd. That was That's not the regular season, is it? Uh, let's see. They've only, oh, they only right. played. You're yeah. right. You're right. Why am I correcting you about a hockey thing? I don't know because I'm <laughs> because I'm looking at my computer screen out of the corner of my eye and 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 it wasn't scrolled down far enough. But in my head, I did think that they had, uh, I did think that they had that they had won that second game. But I guess no. not. No, they they only won in everything except for goals scored. Well, there you go. Because that's that's textbook Predators hockey, in case you didn't know. <laughs> it's to trail in every statistical category except right. for goals. Right. Well, yeah. that's, the one, that's the one stat that you want to be leading in. So. Yeah. So my final thought this week, you sh- everyone should check out Jared Allen. Yes, that's the uh, ex-defensive end of the Minnesota Vikings. He has put together an all-pro team of former football players to make a curling team. Jared Allen's new goal in life is to make the Olympics as a curling team. But as it turns out, believe it or not, when I first saw the story, it, it was it was a fun story because you thought, oh, that's so cool. You have like these big time professional athletes that are going to get into curling. I bet they'll be like the you know, they're just going to kill it. Right. It's right. like a really amazing athlete getting into bowling. And he's just, you know, he's just an unstoppable bowler. Um, tap the brakes. Because as it turns out, curling's actually not that easy. <laughs> <laughs> and believe it or not, the the number of people competing in curling is at an all time high in at the start of 2019. I, I do believe that because there was so much excitement yeah. surrounding the U.S. winning the curling gold medal yes. in the last yes. Olympics. Yeah, there's more people getting into curling than ever before, and the competition is at an all-time high. So Jared Allen has a team that he calls it's, – it's Jared Allen's all-pro curling team because he, it's, it's himself, uh, former QB Mark Bolger, the linebacker Mark. from the Titans, Keith Bullock, yeah. and offensive tackle Michael Ruse. So he actually has a couple of ex-Titans on a team with Bolger and himself. That's their all-pro curling team. Um, they haven't won a match yet. 
<laughs> well, they, they might need to do that if they're planning on making the Olympics. Yeah, so for the Olympics, you have to go to all of these invitationals throughout the year to collect points based right. on – you get points based on you know doing a little round robin or whatever, how many – what you p- place at. And then the, the top point getters will go into an elimination, and the team that wins will represent the country. Um, so they don't have any points. <laughs> With with a limited number of opportunities remaining to get themselves into the final tournament, right now, considering that they they just recently had a match that was their their most recent best opportunity and they lost eight to one. Ow. It's looking like it might be we might be shooting for twenty twenty four. Yeah, <laughs> maybe maybe all pro wasn't the best name to use. No, it is it is cool to see these hulking ex football players on the ice, you know, doing the whole little sweeping thing right. and, and all that. And then you see like these random dudes with their glasses. They, right. I mean, they just, they just look like dudes and and or women and, that are involved in curling, right? Uh, and, uh, but yeah, they're getting absolutely torched. So really cool story. Not, not quite the, uh, punchline I was hoping for, but yeah. we'll see. Might have to sign up for curling. Well, I, they, I, I know where there is a, a, a sheet of ice that is dedicated to curling in Florida. Wow. Really? Yep. That's interesting. Yep. There's a big, relatively new ice complex in Wesley Chapel and they have huh. a, they have a rink that's marked up and ready for your curling enjoyment. When we get picked up on some huge network and we're, we're famous sportscasters, we're, one of our segments will be, we're going to go do curling. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I would do it for I sure. I would do it for sure. Yeah. I don't, because you don't even wear skates for curling. I think no, they, they yeah, just, just wear shoes. shoes. Mm-hmm. That's particularly good for me. Cause I've never even touched I'd probably skates fall down. <laughs> <laughs> So on that note, guys, thank you so much for joining another episode of Sports Ball for episode 27. Uh, I'm your host, Alan Mosley, joined as always by Mike Meharry. We're a proud product of Little L Productions, along with such fine programming as Godarchy with Mike Meharry. That's a, I've heard that name somewhere before. Huh. Uh, you also have Postcards from Somalia, The Sherry Voluntary Show, starring Sherry Voluntary, hosted by Sherry Voluntary, and The Gold Standard with Alan Mosley. If you want to catch us on the web, you can do us on social media, which is facebook.com slash postcards. Excuse me. I just reported postcards. Now we're doing (laughs) sports ball. Facebook.com slash sports ball. You can let us know what you think about the show so we can ban you. But you don't have to do that. You can go to our website, which is sportsballpodcast.com. Outstanding. I have nothing else. Outstanding. That's what we should call this episode. You know, our our people at home don't know that literally right after we get done recording the episode, then we have the conversation of, okay, what should we call this? What were your picks? I wasn't listening. All right. (laughs) Sounds good. Okay, I'll get it up later this week after I forget. All right. That's very accurate rendition. We run a really tight ship here at Sportsball. I got nothing else. (laughs) <laughs> well, I was waiting for you to either laugh or confirm or deny my statement, but you were just in stunned silence Step. instead. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next week. Peace out. You have been listening to Sports Ball with Mike Meharry and Alan Mosley. You can follow us on Facebook and leave comments, suggestions. Just go to at Sportsball Podcast. That's at Sportsball Podcast on Facebook. 
Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you again next time.